You want to go ahead and read the thing? Here we go. The beaches of Hawaii have an almost mythical reputation for Americans and travelers the world round. Hawaii is the land of tropical paradise with white sand and blue seas and gentle breezes. One can imagine stepping out barefoot on the soft sand, taking in the sea air. But on this day, something is wrong. The blue sky is black. The breeze is unmoving, almost chokingly heavy with barometric pressure. And the sea before you is not the calm, gentle sea you'd been hoping to experience. No, this sea is a churning machine of charging waves, almost spitefully aggressive as they approach the shore. And you could have sworn that they'd been getting bigger just since you stepped out. Perhaps you turn your head to where the sky is darkest and see it taking shape in angry, massive clouds as the non-existent breeze suddenly howls hard enough to snatch the breath from your lungs. The wind tears at your clothing as you stagger back up the beach towards safety. Nobody had said anything about a storm, and certainly not a major one, but you trust your own eyes and you're looking right into the teeth of one. An ear-splitting noise shakes you out of your stunned reverie. The hurricane warning sirens are sounding, screaming that you need to get to safety. By the time the storm passed, 5,000 homes were destroyed, 14,000 damaged, and some with uprooted trees used by the storm as battering rams and makeshift missiles. 7,000 people were homeless, and there was no electricity, and there wouldn't be for a very long time. Help was coming, but it was going to be slow. The most astonishing numerical figure from the aftermath was the death toll. Seven. Total. Not 700, not 7,000. Seven people lost their lives in the worst storm to hit Hawaii in recorded history. On this episode of Relative Disasters the 1992 hurricane Iniki. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their contexts, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Greg, your host for this episode. And I'm his sister, Ella, your co-host. So, uh, this is our 100th episode. 100! (laughs) Uh, Back when Ella and I started this whole thing, we figured we'd do a couple episodes, see how it goes, maybe a few people would listen in, and here we are. And that's thanks to you, our amazing and invested listeners. So, from the deepest ventricle of my heart, uh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, uh, I have run into a massive scheduling conflict. So, I am going to be taking some time off from the podcast for the next few weeks. Ella will be doing a couple of solo episodes and have some fun guest hosts. And then she'll get to take some time off later in the summer. The content you crave will continue uninterrupted. That's right. We are committed to our weekly episodes. Committed, dear listener. We are committed to our listeners. That's what we are committed to. We are obsessive and we cannot cannot stop making the content. (laughs) And you benefit. So Yes. Uh, and thank you. Thank you so much for being along for these 100 episodes. I mean, that's crazy. That's, I have to say, when we, started, when we started looking at the statistics of people who listen all over the world, it blew my mind. Like, um, yes, we're listened to in almost every country. 
and well. almost every continent. Come on, yeah, almost Antarctica. Every That's true. <laughs> Come on, Antarctica, step it up. Um, and we are we are just very pleased and thrilled to have found our audience of weird people with a macabre sense of yeah. storytelling. So, thank you for listening. We are really enjoying ourselves. Yeah. And here's to another hundred. There's some angry penguin with a set of headphones on being like, guys, I'm listening. Anyway, <laughs> An emo penguin <laughs> walking the beach on his own because he's too cool for everyone else. Listening to his podcast. Because nobody gets him. <laughs> All right. I'm okay. Connecting. So sources for this episode yes. include the United States Department of Commerce's Natural Disaster Survey report on Hurricane Aniki as well as a large number of contemporary articles, both published on Hawaii and in the mainland. And can I just give a shout-out to a government report about a disaster? It is the most fascinating of all resources, and I'm so happy when we find one. Honestly, it really is. That might sound sarcastic, but they are not dry. They are fascinating. <laughs> they truly are. If you can ever unearth one, I recommend you read it. Because you know the people who write them are deeply invested in it. <laughs> Plus, it's just such a weird narration. Like, there's no, there's not supposed to be any bias right. or any right. kind of like yeah. colorful details like we like to fill in with. It's just a very yeah. straightforward account of something. This happened at wild this time in and this way. Happened. And yeah. you're just like, yes, but how did the cow get on the roof? Anyway. <laughs> so, this might be our most recent disaster occurring in 1992. That is past um, where we usually go. It is well past where we yeah. usually go. Um, and this one tends to be forgotten outside of Hawaii because of its timing. It struck just a few weeks after Hurricane Andrew had mm -hmm. pummeled Florida. I do remember that one, yeah. Which, until, you know, Katrina, Andrew was the worst hurricane that the United States had experienced. Uh, so this one kind of got lost in the shuffle of this is the worst one that's ever hit Hawaii. So... We get to talk about one of my favorite and least understood weather pattern phenomena. You ready? Okay. We're going to start with El Nino. Oh, sweet. I love El Nino. <laughs> we have not covered El Nino in a disaster before. Please tell me no. all about it. Okay, so El Nino is amazing. Uh, the El Nino Southern Oscillation mm -hmm. uh, is a term used to describe this mess of ocean temperatures and winds that are both the result and the cause of a lot of the weather in the equatorial Pacific. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it has three phases, and most people don't know this. There's El Nino, during which the waters warm up. The little La boy. La Nina, during which the waters cool down. And that's the and woman? That's that's so it's the little boy, the little girl, uh -huh. and neutral, where everybody just behaves themselves. Okay. <laughs> so El Nino is important to track for weather reporting purposes because when the ocean gets warmer, more tropical cyclones form. Mm -hmm. This is not a localized thing, by the way. When a major El Nino event occurs, it alters global weather. Outside the Pacific? Outside the Pacific, a very warm El Nino event will warm the North Atlantic. It also causes famine in Asia mm -hmm. due to monsoon failures. Okay? Hmm. Now, when La Nina takes over, we tend to get more hurricanes in the Atlantic Ocean. Ladies, am I right? So, yes, <laughs> ladies. So this is a big deal to study, and I cannot do it justice here, but it is fascinating stuff, and everyone should learn more about it. Okay, in a nutshell, mm -hmm. 
There's this thing called the Humboldt Current, which comes up from the Southern Ocean northward, and it slams into the warmer water on the equator. While this is happening, the equatorial trade winds are cycling the surface water with deeper water, Mm -hmm. which cools the warm surface water, and this warm to cool water then sits at the surface and glides along the equator, getting reheated by sunlight, which is what gives us the lovely warm waters of the tropics. Mm -hmm. When El Nino happens, the cold water part of this cycle gets skipped, resulting in warm water getting warmer. All it takes to form a tropical cyclone now is a decent wind that pulls in warm air onto the warm water. The seawater evaporates, putting water into the lower atmosphere where it bangs into the warm winds and gets dragged upwards. Once it hits a high enough altitude, it cools and condenses into clouds and rain, which heats up the area around and below it more. More heat, more water starts getting sucked upwards, resulting in more heat, resulting in more water getting sucked up, unless you get a very timely high-altitude wind to cut through this mass before it gets too big. Mm-hmm. You've got a tropical storm. That's a lot of drama for air. It's so cool. The pressure at the core of the storm drops, which mm-hmm. makes the wind spin faster. Side note, do you know why cyclones travel in a circle? Uh, because they're round. Because of the rotation of the planet. See? I got it. It's one of my cool... It's it's so cool. All right. Um, and also, you've got a hurricane, typhoon, or cyclone, depending on where you are. Yes, I did know that. So my husband grew up in the South Pacific, where they only yes. have cyclones? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and if they're closer to Japan, they would have typhoons. Right. And if they're in the northern Moore area, they would be hurricanes. Cool, cool. But it's the same storm. It's the same. But it's the same storm. Okay. And it's caused by the same stuff. So The little boy and the little girl. Once you've got that cycle of, uh-huh. of warm water getting sucked up, resulting in more heat, resulting in more warm water, um, the only thing that can stop it now is if it gets its legs cut off by moving over colder water or land, which disrupts the cycle and breaks it apart. Mm-hmm. But the winds of these speeds, usually well over 75 miles an hour, and torrential rainfall can do a lot of damage before that happens. Now, all that being said, living on Hawaii is a pretty sweet deal if you want to live in the tropics, but you don't want hurricanes. I mean, do you have to have hurricanes if you live in the tropics? I feel like pretty I, much, it should yeah. be possible to have a nice Stormless right? tropical paradise, right? Well, if you want that, you got to pretty much live in Hawaii because okay, okay, twist my arm. Don't threaten me with a good I time. Know, I know, I know. I'm so sorry. Sorry <laughs> to make you. Sorry to make you have to live in Hawaii. But so, due to a bunch of geographic and oceanic factors, Hawaii usually doesn't get hit by cyclones. Cool. Because of where Hawaii is in the ocean, most major storms that could threaten it either haven't picked up enough force to become hurricanes before they hit or they pass south or east of the islands. Just to put this in perspective of how rare they are, Iniki was the fourth tropical storm event to hit Hawaii in 40 years. Oh, wow. Okay, so they are really unusual. Exactly. Okay. The only reason Iniki hit them was because it formed weirdly and picked up steam in a very odd way as well, just... The perfect blend of events to end up striking Hawaii. Okay. Now, what's neat about Iniki being so relatively recent, still over 30 years ago, but relatively. We had weather tracking equipment. Exactly. We have a ton of data on this. 
And not only can we track the storm, but we can track the human response to it with mm -hmm. an awful lot of accuracy. Cool, cool. All right, so we're gonna do we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do the life cycle of Iniki here. This is this is Iniki's life. Iniki was a baby once. Iniki was born mm -hmm. on August 18th, which was just after Hurricane Andrew started forming. Hurricane Andrew oh, started forming on the 16th. What's that? She's a Leo. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Don't quote me. So just after Hurricane Andrew started forming and making people very nervous, mm -hmm. a tropical wave came off the western coast of the African continent. Okay. A tropical wave is more than just a big wave. It's an area of low air pressure that causes cloudiness and thunderstorms. And if it eats its vegetables and pays attention in math class, it may one day grow up to be a cyclone. Right. So when you get one of these tropical waves, you track it. Yes, you do. I imagine you track it really closely. <laughs> well, not actually that no? closely because they happen kind of all the time. And oh, that's most really of unsettling. Them, well, that's the thing. Most of them just come out and peter out. That's it. Oh, they don't eat their vegetables. Exactly. Okay. You need, you need a really motivated one to, uh, to really make it to the big leagues. Dream big, kids. Okay. So on the 5th of September... Tropical Depression 18E formed from this tropical wave. Mm -hmm. It had to deal with some heat issues that nearly dissipated it, and the National Hurricane Center took a look at it and decided that it was probably going to break up on its own. Oh, it kept struggling along until September 6th, when it had moved far enough to become the responsibility of the Central Pacific Hurricane Center. Okay. And once again, they looked at it and thought it would probably dissipate over the next day like so many other minor tropical depressions. I feel like this is how our Galveston hurricane episode started. A little bit. A little bit. Did they have it going in the wrong direction as well? No. Although it moved in the wrong direction. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, but 18E refused to quit. It nearly broke apart, but it actually reformed itself on the 7th of September. Mm -hmm. And then on the 8th, the Central Pacific Hurricane Center upgraded it from a tropical depression to a tropical storm and gave it the name Iniki, which is Hawaiian for sharp wind or piercing wind. You know, the kind of wind that just moves right through you. Couldn't we go with like gentle breeze or Yeah, right? I mean, wouldn't sunshine? that be better? <laughs> really okay. nice day. What's the word for really nice day? You anyway. know, I was wondering why I had never met anyone named Iniki, and I think I just realized why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. So... Instead of moving east over the ocean like it should have done, mm -hmm. and that they'd anticipated it would do from their modeling, Iniki swung north, and it got stronger on the 9th when it was declared a hurricane. Mm. Nobody's worried yet, though, because even though it's within 300 miles of Hawaii, uh, because sometimes storms get that close, but they always, almost always, turn east or go back south. Because there's this ring of geological features around Hawaii underwater okay. that do a really, really good job of breaking up storms. It's it's like Hawaii has its own like storm defense system, basically. Cool. You'll get rainstorms. Mm -hmm. You'll get thunderstorms. But you won't get the, the right kind of conditions for something like this. The only problem was that particular natural formation was at this moment overwhelmed by the fact that a bunch of cold water had just moved down onto it from the north. Okay. And it couldn't handle both at once. So, buoyed by the El Nino weather pattern, an upper-level atmospheric depression was headed for Iniki. 
the upper-level atmospheric depression slams into Tropical Storm Iniki on September 10th. And that is when Iniki's winds shot up to 155 miles per hour. Oh, yikes. Okay, so we're a full hurricane now. We are a full Category 3 hurricane now. Okay. Instead of turning back out into the open ocean, again, as expected, Iniki picked up speed and headed north, right for the island of Kauai. Yikes. Now... A reconnaissance plane measured sustained winds of 145 miles an hour, gusting up to 173. Mm. For our metric friends, that is 233 kilometers per hour, gusting up to nearly 280. Yikes. Now that is a Category 4 storm on the Saffir-Simpson scale. And the barometric pressure reading of 938 millibars, which was the lowest ever observed in that area of the Pacific. Oh, wow. Okay. Iniki sped toward Kauai, covering the last 130 miles before hitting the island, slightly weakened. Winds were only 140 miles an hour instead of 145. But as you can imagine, 140 mile an hour winds do a lot of damage. (laughs) Yeah. Here's the crazy thing about about Iniki. Mm Mm-hmm. It only touched on Kauai for about 40 minutes. Really? Yep. Okay. And then it cleared the island and continued north. The land mass of Kauai wasn't enough to break it up. Mm -hmm. But as it continued north, it hit colder waters, which broke up the cycle, which broke up the storm finally. So that's it. It was only on land for 40 minutes? 40 minutes on Kauai. Okay. Less than that on Oahu, Maui, and the Big Island. What so, kind of a storm surge did Eniki bring along? A, a big one. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that, that with the, the amount of wind and the amount of water that had yep. to be involved at that point. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, the Central Pacific Hurricane Center job was to monitor this storm. Mm-hmm. And depending on who you ask they either didn't have the appropriate equipment to make good recommendations or they completely dropped the ball Mm. right up until the day the storm hit the only warning the cphc had issued was one of high surf oh oh okay (laughs) yeah it's not great like an understatement Um, by the time they figured out that the storm was not going to go back out to sea and was going to hit Kauai. It was about nine hours before it actually hit. So the surfers were still out there. Nine hours is not a lot of time to warn an entire island. No. Now, this was due to a bunch of things. The The CPHC had very outdated computers. Mm-hmm. They didn't have direct access to the satellites that could track the storm in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have very good storm modeling. And the, the places that had good storm modeling were... Like, you know, phone calls and time zones away. Yeah, I keep forgetting. We were talking, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about a modern story, but yeah. this is still far this enough. This is still back the 1990s. That, yeah, yeah, that computers were not what they <laughs> what they, what they are became. now. Yeah, you couldn't carry a supercomputer around in your pocket at all times. Yeah, yeah and even telecommunications, we didn't have <laughs> exactly fiber optic yeah. calling back then, did we? So I can see this. Well, I mean, the internet was still probably like Usenet at this point, I think. I, I mean, I was know, thinking man. that this did not happen that long ago, but yeah, but it really, was, technologically speaking, technologically it, really it did. was a while ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And what's worse is they didn't have good lines of communication with the agencies that had the better equipment. Okay? Yeah. So mm-hmm. like another hurricane place could have kept them up to date on it better if they'd only known that that's what they needed. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, having the warning sirens go off with nine hours to spare was probably the best they could do with what they had. Yeah. So nine hours does give you time to evacuate. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't give you time to evacuate like the island. No, but (laughs) to find a higher ground, a safer place. Well, that's the that's the trick to it. Now, this is the part of the story where usually we talk about the people who died because they weren't properly warned or decided Mm -hmm. that it wouldn't be that bad or any number of human ego failings that lead to tragedy. And in this case, they just didn't. (gasps) Did we have a safe evacuation? Once the hurricane siren started blaring, the people of Kauai did exactly what they were supposed to do. They gathered their essential supplies, Mm-hmm. Got to the hurricane shelters in orderly fashion. In fact, people evacuated so quickly and efficiently that the disaster survey team that arrived afterwards to do, you know, the survey of the disaster, mm-hmm. they had difficulty nailing down the exact time of impact because nobody watched it because they had evacuated. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Okay. Isn't that great? That really makes me feel good. Uh, I'm going to give you another one. I don't that think that's ever good. happened on this podcast before. No. The orderly evacuation. The orderly, calm evacuation where everybody lives. I love uh, it so much. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. There are also some stories of quiet heroism. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I'm going to quote to you from the National Disaster Survey report. Okay. Quote. The DST heard tales of condominium and apartment managers going from door to door to ensure their people were making preparations. One manager worked so hard in getting his people out that when the storm hit, it was too late for him to evacuate. He wrote it out in his interior bathroom, watching the walls and roof of his home blow away. Oh, horrifying. Yeah. But, I mean, can you imagine a landlord caring, caring that much about, like, their tenants? No. <laughs> No, I rented right? for a long time. I did never, not ever right? have a landlord who no. would have done that for me. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. So people warned each other, especially mm-hmm. those outside of the range of the hurricane sirens, because the hurricane sirens didn't cover the whole island. There were places oh, where people okay. couldn't have heard them. Mm-hmm. So people would like pile into their cars, drive up to where these other people were, and like let them know, hey, massive storm, get to shelter. And then they got to shelter themselves. And people banded together in the shelters, keeping the kids calm and caring for the elderly. Two of the major hotels on Kauai uh, sheltered as many people as they could in their basements, Mm -hmm. including a certain Steven Spielberg. Really? Time for a sidebar? Yes. Ah, absolutely. So, What was Steven Spielberg doing in Hawaii in 1992? So Jurassic Park was on its last day of location filming on Kauai. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> when Iniki hit. And what that did was that the casting crew sheltered in one of the hotels. Mm-hmm. A number of the outdoor sets that they built were destroyed, including one where Samuel L. Jackson's character was supposed to have a scene, and that scene had to be cut from the film. Huh. However, Spielberg was able to capture footage of the storm... Oh, is that the the footage that's in the movie? Some of the stormy shots are created on set, and some of them are actually of Iniki. 
And Nick, cool he's a movie star. Wow. Now, I couldn't nail down whether Spielberg himself grabbed a camera or whether he grabbed, like, the intern he liked the least. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> somebody was out there filming. So, anyway. Uh, so, back to the damage. This hurricane caused $3.1 billion in damages in wow. 1992 money. That is about $6 billion today. Goodness. It okay. is the most expensive hurricane to hit anywhere on Hawaii. Mm-hmm. A lot of that money was for infrastructure because over 14,000 homes were damaged. Mm. And the entire electrical grid of Kauai was torn apart with over 50% of the electrical and telephone poles destroyed. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, power was out across the island for a month and a half before any of it was restored. And in certain areas, they didn't get electricity back for four months. Wow. Trees, including uh, papaya, banana, and nut trees, were uprooted and thrown around, which absolutely you know, ruined any chance of harvesting mm-hmm. their stuff. They had already harvested the sugarcane harvest, but okay. everything after that was just wiped out. Oh, we got our sugar. We can deal with we can deal with the no bananas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> now, despite all this damage, again, casualties were incredibly low. Three people died at sea during the storm. Mm-hmm. Either they couldn't make it back, or they figured it was safer to ride it out on the sea, which in some cases is a better call. How do you make that call? Uh, it's a judgment call that captains have to make, and if you guess right, you're fine. Yeah, that's yeah. Pretty high um, stakes. Because, okay. well, the, the trick is, can you get back to the mainland in time to make it to safety? Mm-hmm. Or is it smarter to just shoot for the eye and hope you can ride it out? Mm. Those bulls sound like scary choices. They're very scary. Uh, three people who were at sea on boats during the storm were killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, One person died from being struck by flying debris. Mm -hmm. One died from having their house collapse on them. And one died of a heart attack. Mm. Uh, The final casualty that is noted as being caused by Iniki was after Iniki had left, one person died when the candle that they were using for light, since the power was out, set fire to their home. Dang. Only around 100 people were injured. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. That is really incredible. Wow. But it's because they got to shelter and, and they did what they were supposed to do in an emergency. It's, it's you know. And tell me about <laughs> these shelters. Are these government shelters? Are they purpose built? So they're all sorts of things. They're, they're like, they're giant basements. They're like uh, places at the bottom of rec centers. They're, they're kind of. And the of, hotels are built with hurricane shelters? And the hotels are built with um, shelters in the basements, basically. Huh. That's and, really interesting. I didn't know. And that. there are some there are some really interesting stories from the governmental report about things like one of the shelters had its roof ripped off, Jeez. but but the people weren't in like that upper floor that would have had to deal with that. They were mm-hmm. down in the lower floor where they were supposed to be to ride out the storm. Hmm. And again, remember it only made landfall for 40 minutes. Yeah, I feel like that was really lucky, all things considered. It's either one or the other, you know? I mean, it's it's either really lucky that it only hit for 40 minutes. Or really unlucky that it hit at all. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Now, Kauai was not the only island hit. Many homes on Oahu were also lost in the high winds. 
and boats and coastal buildings on Maui and the Big Island were also damaged and destroyed. Mm. In the aftermath, the people of Kauai found themselves nearly cut off from the rest of the world. Yeah. The phones are out. The radio and television towers are down, and there's no electricity to power them anyway. And we are pre-cell phone. <laughs> yep, we are very much pre-cell phone. There are emergency satellite phones in the hands of some government officials, but I think there were like two or three on the entire island. Oh, I bet Steven Spielberg had one. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, just to call the producers, just be like, yeah, I'm so sorry. We, uh, <laughs> we, can't, we can't come in today. Bonus, we got some great storm footage. Bonus, we got some great footage. You guys are going to love it. Now, the people of Kauai responded with grace and organization. So mm. ham radio operators using hand-cranked radios basically drove themselves up and down the island to set up lines of communication so that people could communicate from one end of the island to another through these ham radio operators. Cool. People hosted community gatherings and parties to make sure that the perishable foods could be consumed before they went bad. And that's a good excuse for a party. Right? Yeah. And and Hawaii has this tradition of community. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's very tight-knit culture. And that is really what helped keep people together, safe, and fed. Of course, there were governmental and NGO responses. The, the Red Cross mm-hmm. set up shelter for people who had lost their homes. The United States Army arrived on the scene to supply MREs to people who didn't have food. Mm-hmm. And a really interesting report from the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, it mentions that especially in contrast to the looting and violence that had disrupted a lot of recovery efforts in Hurricane Andrew, mm-hmm. the people of Kauai and the other infected islands of Hawaii were generally calm good-natured, though justifiably grumpy regarding the slowness of monetary aid. Yeah. Uh, and there was a noted lack of violence and other disaster profiteering. That's so interesting. Isn't that cool, though? Yeah. <laughs> uh, kids went back to school two weeks after the hurricane hit, even though yeah, there was no did. power. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I'm no, a they mom did. and my kids are out for two weeks, I'm <laughs> nope. losing my mind. You're going, sorry, you're going back to school, kid. Oh, I, I don't care that there's no power, there's no running water, you're sitting in that classroom. Go on, see your friends, it'll be great. And people found a new sense of normalcy, and they stuck to it. That's good. Interesting side note about the Jurassic Park crew. Uh-huh. Uh, Steven Spielberg <laughs> sort of... I, I can't really tell if anecdotally he kind of pulled a fast one on the producers or not, but I like to think that he kind of did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he devoted the next couple of days to sending his film crew out to uh, assist with like clearing the roads and emergency evacuation and like emergency help wherever they could and they did it all on the dime of the production so he paid all of his people to go out and help people and i think that's a good thing yes good community relations good job job. exactly exactly uh speaking of the money (laughs) please let's talk about insurance shall we (laughs) this is okay that's not my favorite part of talking (laughs) about big storms but it fascinates me so insurance is really just a gamble that you're not going to have any you're not going to ever have to pay out right and then this massive storm hits tell me greg what happened with the insurance you're gonna love this so as you can imagine uh, Mm -hmm. a large number of damage claims were filed due to the storm what so many in fact 
that the entire insurance industry left Hawaii entirely. Oh my <laughs> they god, just you're moved kidding. Out. They, just... they just moved out. That's okay. it. Okay. <laughs> um, did they yep. pay off their claims? I believe they did, yes. But that was it. No uh, I, didn't, I didn't find anything in here that was like, and they refused to pay out claims or anything like that. I believe they paid their claims, but they're also like, nope, we out. Wow. Okay. So the Hawaiian government moved to make sure that its people were protected, you know, doing what governments are supposed to do. The governor at the time was John David Waiahai mm-hmm. III. Apologies for butchering your name, sir. He was the first native Hawaiian to be elected governor, by the way. Interesting. He set up this thing called the Hurricane Relief Fund to protect the newly uninsured residents from further hurricanes. Mm-hmm. The fund was finally dissolved in the year 2000 when insurance companies moved back in. <laughs> and there hadn't been a hurricane that struck Hawaii that entire time. And then... <laughs> no. No, no, really? no. <laughs> okay. Hawaii's doing okay. They're doing fine. Uh, they've gotten some bad tropical storms. Yeah. Uh, because as the oceans heat up, these storms are just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Finally, um, I want to take a little sidebar here to talk about chickens. Yeah, please. Uh, uh, this whole episode, I was thinking, what about the chickens? <laughs> what about the chickens? Who was caring I, I could, for the chickens? Where were the chickens sheltering? I could hear you over the line. Not just me, Greg. Everybody no. listening to this podcast. The world is crying out to know about the chickens. Tell me about so, the chickens. So there is a whole bunch of feral chickens on Kauai. (laughs) When you say feral chickens. I mean feral wild chickens. They're just wandering around Kauai. They've they've figured out how to carve a life out for themselves. They are not domesticated. Do not try to pick them up. They will peck your eyes out. Just really have never thought of chickens as being... Feral. Okay, Feral. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, apparently, uh, this was one of the things I kind of had to look this up, and I was this close to like doing an entire extended sidebar on this, just this one thing. The but I have a different topic. Of Kauai. No, no, no. Feral chickens. Like, chickens can go feral really fast. Anywhere? It's kind of amazing. Anywhere, yeah. Oh, that's spooky. There have been cases of like, like small farms that have like, you know, maybe 50, 60, maybe 100 chickens or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the farmer has a heart attack or something and nobody comes to check on the chickens for a while. And when they do, the chickens are completely feral. It's kind of (laughs) really fast. (laughs) I'm scared now. I mean, you should be. Chickens are violent, vicious animals. I just realized that my town is zoned for chickens. Um, Ooh. That's going to be part of my post-apocalyptic nightmare. Uh, we're now. just gonna we're gonna add that to your list of phobias. <laughs> just yep. chickens go right on the list. I got a lot, folks. Let's All have right. another one. Sorry, go ahead. So, so this is interesting because the the feral population of chickens on Kauai is pretty much thanks to Iniki. It destroyed mm-hmm. people's home coops, mm-hmm. and they just they're in like the perfect environment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, nice so and warm. So they just nice and warm, plenty to eat. They're mm-hmm. not like overwhelming a natural uh, food chain. In fact, they've joined the natural food webs that are there. Okay. <laughs> um, they're they're breeding in the wild. It's it's nice and you know it's chicken paradise in Hawaii, quite frankly. Okay. And uh, entire generations of feral chickens have been born and died due to this weather-based jailbreak. Okay. I know you needed to know about the chickens. Everyone needed to know about the chickens, so I wanted to make sure I I brought up 
the chickens. Thank you. One final note, the name Iniki was retired, much like Andrew and later Katrina. The next name beginning with I on the Central North Pacific Tropical Storm list was chosen to be Iolana. Hmm. So that's fun. Not a lot of I names out there. Not a lot, no. I mean, there's Isaac, there's Ishmael, there's... Iris. Iris. I guess you could have, like, Tropical Storm Indigo if you wanted. You know, there's stuff you could do with it. If we're going to get into hippie names, <laughs> we can just start naming things that begin with I. It's true. It's true. So, on a serious note, any any loss of life is tragic. But mm-hmm. it's a testament to the people of Kauai, Oahu, Maui, and all of Hawaii that the damage from the storm wasn't as costly in terms of human life It was certainly costly in terms of money, but Mm -hmm. money can be replaced. It wasn't as costly in terms of human life as it could have been. And and that the usual aftermaths of modern disasters, which lead to, you know, violence and crime and blame and all this, like, you know, bad, bad vibes just circling all these things. They just didn't happen. So... Over the years, the communal reaction of the people of Hawaii to the damage of Iniki has been studied and used to issue recommendations for disaster aftermaths. Mm -hmm. The general consensus is that if we all acted a little more like the folks with the famous aloha spirit, uh, we'd emerge from these disasters much better off. Human beings do much better in crisis when they pull together instead of when they fracture and factionalize and so just a little something to remember the next time a disaster strikes any of us and and that's it that is the story of hurricane iniki the most uh expensive hurricane to ever hit hawaii but also the most survived (laughs) i mean won't somebody please think of the insurance companies (laughs) (laughs) Those poor, poor Those companies. poor, poor insurance companies, guys. The I, I just did great. I like the image of, of like a bunch of guys in suits just looking around at the damage and then just being like, nope. <laughs> we can pay this, but we absolutely cannot sell any more insurance. We're not doing this anymore in Hawaii. Nope, we're, yeah. we're out. I can see it. Uh, although, ironically, I wouldn't be at all surprised if a bunch of them, like, move to florida or whatever and then you know hurricanes hit all the time so you can still get insurance in florida you can you can still get hurricane insurance it's incredibly expensive (laughs) uh so that is really fascinating do you think that following this storm uh hawaii or Kauai in particular invested in better more sophisticated um storm tracking technology or so storm tracking technology yeah I mean, well, actually, they still have hurricane sirens. It, mm-hmm. it was pretty much determined that the failure was not in the warning system. Mm-hmm. The failure was in properly tracking the storm. Yeah, that's and what I was thinking. You said yeah, they, they it, didn't have access to the satellites? They had access to satellites, but not great access. They had access to modeling, but not great modeling. It was like they, they just didn't have the tools, really, mm-hmm. until... You know, some dude with binoculars is standing out there going, oh, it looks like it's going to hit Kauai. I mean, that yeah, was essentially what it boiled down dude. to. Yeah. Oh, yikes. Okay. I mean, they had sent out reconnaissance planes, and that's uh-huh. where they got most of their information. 
And that is just not super efficient at keeping people safe from it. Right. And the technology to track these storms has come so much further. Nowadays, you know, as soon as one of those tropical depressions form, they can track it. Uh, they can track it in real time. They don't need to do a lot of the a lot of the modeling to see where it currently is. They do a lot of the modeling to see where it might move to, but it's right. not like, yeah. And nowadays, tropical storms are getting worse, but we're getting better at tracking them. So at least if people do the things they're supposed to do, get to shelter, don't be jerks to each other, that sort of stuff, they're becoming more survivable. Right. But... The problem is that they are getting bigger and they are getting worse. Have you ever heard the theory of ruin storms? No, what's that? Oh, God. So it's a meteorological theory. Uh, they're, they're, just to be clear, these have never happened unless maybe like when the meteor struck the planet and killed all the dinosaurs. Okay. But basically, a ruin storm is a theoretical super hurricane that forms out in the Pacific or the Atlantic... Mm -hmm. because the oceans have just gotten too warm and it can have an eye the size of the island of new york mm. it can have theoretical winds you know clocking in at a nice calm 300 or so miles an hour we're talking something that can pick up you know buildings and throw them yeah, that's and Craig. <laughs> they are theoretical. They are theoretical. This is what weathermen be... sit around and talk about when they right. <laughs> when they're bored. Right, exactly. But the fact that hurricanes have consistently gotten worse over yeah. the last decade and trackably. Mm -hmm. Like we can track the hurricanes and it's like, well, this one, you know, this one was this bad, then this one was a little bit worse than that, and then this one right. was a little bit worse than that. It's be it's beginning to sound less and less like a theory and more and more like, you know, something that's pr probably going to strike a coastline somewhere in the next 50 years or so. Yikes. So, sleep tight, everybody? I don't know. Great news for the chickens, am I right? They're scary. I mean, great news for the chickens. The Let's, chickens uh... that survive shall inherit the earth. The silver lining of that terrible storm. And I mean, if you, if you, you know, if you go along with the theory that birds are the descendants of dinosaurs. Sure. Then it's sort of like this little cycle, you know, the massive ruinous event wiped out all the dinosaurs and then chickens inherit the earth. Do we yeah. want chickens <laughs> to inherit the earth? I mean, I, not personally. If, but... if we have a choice. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's it. That's, that's. That's Iniki, everybody. That is a really wild story. All right. Yeah. 100 episodes and we end with chickens. I mean, why didn't we even start with chickens? Because <laughs> there's no chicken disaster, Craig. They're all disasters. We do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our story today, a more complete bibliography will be available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com or if you'd like to share some insights we missed or just shame us publicly. You know you do. Why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters. A special thank you to our patrons who support us at Relative Disasters Podcast on Patreon. This week's episode was brought to you by our new patron, Nicole. Nicole, thank you so much formerly in charge of monitoring Arctic hurricanes, which is a pretty cushy job. You need a good book for that. Yep. Welcome, Nicole. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion. And please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. Uh, I, I will not be here. That's right. I can talk about anything I want to. You can. It's mm. true. She'll, she'll be soloing it like a feral chicken. Uh, <laughs> not like a feral chicken, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? Uh, we had a reader suggestion some time back that I have decided to go ahead and do since I know you hate structure fires. I do. I don't like the idea of being trapped in a building while it's burning down around you. It is also my worst nightmare, but I do find it <laughs> fascinating how fires like this get started, um, yes. how they get out of control, and what the response is. Absolutely. And we're going to be talking about one of the most famous structure fires in okay. American history, the fire that happened at the Beverly Hills Supper Club. Oh, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Are you sad well, to miss that one, Greg? I'm I I, I you Are know you the problem is you going to listen to the episode anyway. <laughs> I will listen to the episode. I will absolutely listen to the episode. I and, and okay. it's probably a good idea that I'm missing this one because like I actually know a lot about this one and I'd be constantly interrupting you being like, "Oh, this is so bad." It is but really bad. It is really bad. It is really 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 bad. I I I kind of hate it and I'm kind of glad that you saved it for when I won't be here. You can listen and then call me and tell me. I might do that. Okay. I might just I might just ruin a weeknight of yours. Just totally up to like, you. Hey, by the way. So uh, I I won't see you again, dear listeners, for uh, a, a couple of weeks here. Three weeks. But uh, I, I, I've lost count. But uh, <laughs> obviously you're in good hands. And <laughs> um, that sounds like an amazing disaster. And I can't wait to listen to it. All right. Well, we'll miss you, Greg. And enjoy your hiatus. Um, yeah. But we're expecting you back second week of June. Is that right? Third week of June. Cool, cool. I think. Okay. Okay.